Welcome to That You May Grow Thereby, a work of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. We are located at 18 Scott Drive in Florence, Kentucky. Our phone number is 859-371-2095. You can also visit us at www.nkcofc.com. And now, that you may grow thereby. Thank you for listening to That You May Grow Thereby. I am Greg Littmer, one of the elders of the Northern Kentucky Church of Christ. And for this episode today, I want to talk about faith. And one of the most important aspects of faith is trust and confidence in the promises that God has made. Without that trust, without that confidence, there really is not much of a point, is there? So I'm going to entitle this particular episode, Standing on the Promises of God. That song expresses very well the confidence that we, as faithful Christians, must have in the numerous promises that God has made to us. The definition of a promise as given by Webster's is to give one's word to do or not to do something, to give causes for expectation, to agree to give, to assure by a promise, to give grounds for hope. Promises play such an important role in our everyday lives. At our jobs, we have essentially promised to do a particular task, and our employers have promised to pay us a certain amount of money for doing it. When we go to a store or get online and purchase something with a credit card, isn't that a promise to pay for that purchase at a latter date? Oftentimes, we will promise our children or friends to take them somewhere or to do something with them. A good many people make New Year's resolutions. If they are serious about doing that, those resolutions are a form of a promise, a promise made to themselves. Surely, we would all agree that when a person makes a promise, he or she is bound to it and should do all in their power to fulfill that promise. And surely, we would all agree that we should never make a promise unless we fully intend to carry it out. Promises, my friends, play a tremendous role in Christianity. Just as Webster said, promises give ground for hope, and the hope of a Christian is the greatest hope of all. In this episode, we're going to emphasize three areas that determine the worth of a promise. They are, number one, the value of the thing promised, number two, the character of the one making the promise, And number three, the conditions or nature of the promise. Let's begin with the value of the thing promised. Over in 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 through 4, Peter began his second letter with these words. Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith of the same kind as ours, by the righteousness of our God and Savior, Jesus Christ. Grace and peace be multiplied to you in the knowledge of of God and of Jesus our Lord, seeing that his divine power has granted to us everything pertaining to life and godliness through the true knowledge of him who called us by his own glory and virtue. For by these he has granted to us his precious and magnificent promises, in order that by them you might become partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world by lust. The value of the promises of God can be seen in the very language of this text. Peter said that they are precious and magnificent promises. What a way to describe them. 
But that statement suggests the next very logical question. Why? Why are these promises precious and magnificent? Well, the promises of God are necessarily precious and magnificent because they stem from God. And no one else can make the same promises or have the power to grant them. They are great because they have to do with our most valuable possession, something that is worth more than the whole world and all that it contains. The promises Peter spoke of have to do with our soul. Remember the words of Jesus in Matthew 16 and verse 26? He said, For what will a man be profited if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for his soul? There is nothing in existence or any combination of things in existence that comes close to the worth of one man's soul. The type of things that we are talking about in this episode, the type of things that God has promised, are such things as forgiveness, peace that passes all comprehension, joy and eternal life. These are not mere passing temporal things. They are things that reach into heaven and stem from heaven, anchored in eternity. An additional attribute of God's promises is that makes them great is the fact that they will never fail. Not one of God's promises has ever failed, and we can rest assured that none of them ever will. A passage that drives this point home so powerfully for me is found in the Old Testament in a simple affirmation of God's fulfillment of certain of the promises he had made concerning the children of Israel. It is a simple statement of fact. And to me, the way that it is made removes any possibility of having failed. In Joshua 21, verses 43 through 45, the Bible says, So the Lord gave Israel all the land which he had sworn to give to their fathers, and they possessed it and lived in it. And the Lord gave them rest on every side, according to all that he had sworn to their fathers. And no one of all their enemies stood before them. The Lord gave all their enemies into their hand. Not one of the good promises which the Lord had made to the house of Israel failed. All came to pass. As we continue to seek the answer to the question of why the promises of God are exceeding precious and magnificent, let's consider this. Titus 1 and verse 2 tells us, In the hope of eternal life which God, who cannot lie, promised long ages ago. These are not promises that were made in a fleeting moment when God was feeling particularly generous as so many of the promises that we might make can be. These promises we enjoy as Christians were devised before the world began. Before the earliest period of human history, God had prepared these promises for us. However, I believe the greatness of God's promises can be summed up in one word, salvation. This is the gift, the promise, that was made available to us through his Son, our Lord and Savior Jesus. 1 John chapter 2, verses 24 and 25 states this so clearly. It says, As for you, let that abide in you which you have heard from the beginning. If what you heard from the beginning abides in you, you also will abide in the Son and in the Father. And this is the promise which he himself made to us, eternal life. Doesn't this show the value of what we have been promised as servants of the Lord? Now let's consider the character of the one who made the promises. This also must be considered when one is seeking to determine the worth of a promise. Every day, thousands of people make the traditional promises of marriage. They promise to love, 
cherish, honor, cleave to each other alone as long as they both shall live. Every day many break those same promises that they made and we ask ourselves why. Part of the reason is that the character of those doing the promising, either one or both, is not what it should be. We all know people who will make a promise and we let that promise go in one ear and out the other. We do that because experience has taught us that they are simply not dependable, reliable people whose word can be trusted. If I had a dime for every purpose, person over the years who had promised me that they were going to come to the next service and then did not, I really think I would not be concerned about retirement income. It happens even in the church sometimes. A brother might promise to do a particular work, be involved in some evangelistic endeavor, but when the time comes to do it, they don't show. It happens. Fortunately for all of us, God is not like that. What he says, he will do. God is fully able to perform every promise he has made and the good promises he wants to fulfill. I'm reminded of 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, where we find the Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. If I was to promise that after services I was going to give away $1,000 bills to everyone present, you would not be very impressed or excited because you would know that it is no possible way that I could do that. You would know that I could not fulfill my promise. But the point is, God can and will. Look at Romans chapter 4, verses 20 and 21. Paul wrote, Yet with respect to the promise of God, he did not waver in unbelief, but grew strong in faith, giving glory to God and being fully assured that what he had promised, he was able also to perform. This had reference to Abraham. The character of God is behind every single promise that he makes. Hebrews chapter 10 and verse 23 tells us, Let us hold fast the confession of our hope without wavering, for he who promised is faithful. So, God has the character and the qualities necessary to make his promises worth more than all the treasures and all the promises of this world put together. The second verse of that song says, Standing on the promises that cannot fail. And that is absolutely right. Now, before we look at the nature of God's promises, I want to look at several things that God has not promised. Knowing what he has not promised helps us to appreciate that which he has promised. For instance, God has not promised another chance after death. This is it. There will be no reincarnation. Nobody will be able to be baptized for you after you are dead. This is it. The Bible puts it so clearly in Hebrews chapter 9 and verse 27 with the words, And inasmuch as it is appointed for men to die once, and after this comes judgment. Secondly, God has not promised another day to live. That being true, why is it that some live as if they are assured of tomorrow? When we look through the obituary column, do we think that all of those people, even most of those people, thought that they were going to die when they did? I don't think so. Why is it then that even some here right now continue to put off their obedience to the gospel as though they were certain beyond a shadow of a doubt that they will have another chance? Remember the words of James in James chapter 4 verses 13 through 15? He showed the foolishness of thinking that way when he wrote the following, Come now, you who say, Today or tomorrow we shall go to do such and such a city, 
and spend a year there and engage in business and make a profit, yet you do not know what your life will be like tomorrow. You are just a vapor that appears for a little while and then vanishes away. Instead, you ought to say, if the Lord wills, we shall live and do this or that. Something else God has not promised is salvation to anybody outside of the body of Christ, his church. The church does not save, Christ does. But those who are saved are placed in the church by the Lord, according to Acts chapter 2, verse 47. There are many who profess not to see the need of the church. They proclaim themselves to be safe and secure without it. But the question is, where does God promise salvation to those people? And the answer is, he hasn't and he doesn't. I believe it is important to understand that God did not promise to accept any excuses either. The parable of the Great Supper in Luke chapter 14 verses 16 through 24 demonstrates this truth in what should be an all-eye-opening way for everyone who reads it. The passage says, But he said to him, A certain man was giving a big dinner, and he invited many. And at the dinner hour he sent his slave to say to those who had been invited, Come, for everything is ready now. But they all alike began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I have bought a piece of land and I need to go out and look at it. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have bought five yoke of oxen and I'm going to try them out. Please consider me excused. And another one said, I have married a wife and for that reason I cannot come. And the slave came back and reported this to his master. Then the head of the house became angry and said to his slave, Go out at once into the streets and lanes of the city and bring in here the poor and crippled and blind and lame. And the slave said, Master, what you have commanded has been done and still there is room. And the master said to the slave, Go out into the highways and along the hedges and compel them to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, None of those men who were invited shall taste of my dinner. Excuses are made every day, and the truth is when it comes to obeying him and behaving as we should, God won't accept any of those excuses. Finally, concerning those things that God has not promised, he has not promised his followers a life free from hardship. Many think that God has somehow let them down when the going gets rough. But James 1 and verse 12 tells us, Blessed is a man who perseveres under trial. For once he has been approved, he will receive the crown of life which the Lord has promised to those who love him. There is value in trials. We can either stumble on steps or we can use them to get to higher ground. The same holds true with the trials of life. Now to catch up and finish, let's consider the nature of God's promises. All of God's promises fall into one of two categories. They are either unconditional, having no limitations, fulfilled without us doing anything, or they are conditional, meaning to be fulfilled provided that certain conditions are met. Some examples of the unconditional promises of God would be seed time and harvest. Matthew chapter 5 verse 45. No more world destruction by flood. Genesis 9 and verse 11. The future destruction of the world, 2 Peter 3, verse 10. The second coming of Christ, chapter one, Acts chapter 1, and verse 11. And judgment, Romans chapter 14, verses 11 and 12. 
Some examples of conditional promises are as follows. Remission of sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. Answer to prayer, James chapter 1 verses 6 and 7. Spiritual blessings, Ephesians 1 verse 3. And eternal salvation, Hebrews 5 and verse 9. The unconditional promises of God will never fail. The conditional promises will never fail when the conditions that God set forth are met. Surely we can see the value of the promises of God. We can see the character of God the promiser. He is faithful. He will deliver that which he has promised. And we can see the nature of God's promises, either conditional or unconditional. And the greatest promise of all, eternal salvation, will be granted upon the fulfillment of the conditions. I hope this will prove helpful to you. Thanks for listening.